You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Let's start our time this morning in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for your grace in our lives. We are so thankful that in this world where things can be so confusing, that you have given us the truth. And Father, I pray that this morning that you yourself would speak to us through your word. God, I pray that you would give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive it, God, and apply it as you would call us to. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I was at the Y in Townsend with my five-year-old son, Judson. And many of you all have probably been there. And so we pulled into the parking area, uh, and we went down to the area underneath where the rocks are and the water comes through kind of fast, kind of like a small rapids, if you know what I'm talking about. And at the bottom of that, The water opens up and it gets a little wider. There's a little rocky beach area where kids can play. And so so we walked out on that rocky beach and I decided that Judson and I uh, were were gonna go swimming. And so we stepped into the water. I was holding him and stepped for, and it was freezing cold. And so I did what any dad would have done in that situation. I I didn't want the situation to to last any longer and be any more agonizing than it needed to. So we just jumped in, right? Just kind of run, jump, and get in the water. Well, what I didn't realize was how quickly that water gets deeper. And all of a sudden, I am holding my son and I cannot feel the rocks or the, the ground beneath my feet, and we are moving downstream. And in that moment, I was overcome with fear. I was completely out of control. Now, fortunately, because the water was freezing cold, Judson was locked onto my neck in a death grip, and so he held on, and I was able to kind of, you know, use my arms to swim, and so as we gradually went down, I got over to the side, and we were able to to get out. Uh, But it was a moment of fear. I wonder if you've had a moment of fear. Maybe it was a moment like that when you were fearful of your physical safety, Maybe you were in a car or a wreck of some kind, or maybe you were in a situation where someone threatened you physically, but you, you had a fear of what was about to happen to you physically. Or maybe you've been in a situation uh, where your fear was more of concern. You were, you were fearful of the decisions that your kids were making. You were fearful of uh, a situation that, that was happening in your marriage and, and the, the, the relationship was beginning to, to be broken. Or, or maybe you were fearful and concerned about your job and, and things didn't seem to be going in a good direction. Or maybe you've experienced a, a time of fear that, that uh, was connected to your spiritual life. So maybe... Maybe there was a time when you knew that God was, was leading you to, to talk about Jesus with, with a friend or a neighbor or someone at work, and, and you experienced fear of, what if I do this and they reject me? Or maybe you felt like God was calling you to take a step of, of publicly identifying with Jesus through baptism, and you had a moment of fear of, of what would that be like, and, and would that just be so embarrassing and on and on. Well, just like we've all experienced these these different moments of fear in our own lives, the disciples of Jesus experienced these moments of fear as well. 
And specifically in the last few days of the life of Jesus, we, we see a, a sense of fear that just falls upon these, these men who had followed Jesus over the last couple of years. You see, as they saw Jesus get arrested, as they saw him beaten, and ultimately as they saw him crucified, they became fearful of those same things happening to them. We see one of the disciples, Peter, one of the men closest to Jesus, in those last few days, he denies that he even knows Jesus three times because he's afraid of what might happen to him. We see basically all of the disciples scatter as as it's announced that Jesus is going to be crucified and almost none of them are with him when he dies. We see this, this fear of power. We see this fear of the threat of their lives that, that takes over the disciples. But as we've been going through the book of Acts over the last few weeks, we've seen a very different picture of these same men. The men who once were fearful, the men who once denied that they knew Jesus and ran away from the powers that threatened them, are now publicly identifying with Jesus are now boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in public places. And when the political powers and the religious powers that they once feared brought them before them and said, listen, guys, if you don't stop preaching Jesus, we're going to kill you. In essence, they said, look, you got to do what you got to do, but we cannot stop preaching the gospel. So how did this happen? How did we see this huge change in these men that went from being fearful to men who were fearless? In our sermons over the last few weeks, we've seen that the Holy Spirit of God is what has changed them. That the Spirit of God has has filled these men. And he has made them bold, and he has given them wisdom and words to speak, and he has made them fearless. And what I want to tell you this morning is that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in your place for your sins, then you have been filled with the same Spirit of God that they were. And if that's true, then why don't we experience the fearlessness that they experienced? Why the disconnect between our lives and what we see in these chapters of the book of Acts? And how is it possible to experience this kind of fearlessness even in situations that seem hopeless? Well, ultimately, that's the question that we'll be addressing this morning. And I believe that God has some very helpful truths from his word for us. But before we dive into that, we're going to focus on a particular part of Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60, kind of the last part of the chapter. But before we do that, I want to give some background uh, into the main character who we'll be looking at, uh, which is a man named Stephen, and then in the overall flow of chapter 7 of what leads up to this passage. Now, first of all, Stephen. So the man that we're going to be looking at primarily today uh, is, is a man named Stephen. And what we have seen so far in the book of Acts is that Stephen is a man who is trustworthy. 
Uh, he is a man who is dependable, who is full of the Spirit of God. And, and what we've seen, Pastor Todd preached last week from Acts chapter 6, and we saw that a situation has occurred where certain widows are being ignored in the distribution of food. And this has created an issue, and it's taking the time of the apostles. And so what they do is they choose certain men who are full of the Spirit, who are wise men, trustworthy men, good men, and they ask them to take on this task and these kind of decisions so that they can focus on the ministry of the Word and prayer that God has called them to. Well, Stephen is one of those men uh, that they have entrusted in this way. And in Acts 6-8, we see that Stephen is full of the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, and he's performing wonders, he's performing signs, and he is seeing fruit. He's sharing the gospel with people, and they are trusting in Christ, and God is using him in an incredible way. And of course, when someone is being used by God, they will be opposed by Satan. This is always true. Anytime that you step out in your life and you are, you are being used by God for his kingdom, Satan will oppose you. And the way that Satan brings opposition in this situation is he brings a group of religious men and they oppose Stephen. And they come after Stephen and they gather around him and, and they want to get into a debate. They want to prove Stephen that he's wrong. Uh, and so they, they get into this debate, but it doesn't go well for him. Because the Spirit of God that is, that is in Stephen gives him an incredible wisdom, and they are outmatched. And so what they do is because they can't beat him fairly, they cheat. And so what they do is they get a group of men, and, and they tell them lies, essentially, about Stephen. They, they tell them that Stephen has done things that, that are against uh, the, 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 the Jewish culture and context and against their prophets and all of these things, and, and they get them riled up, and they form a mob. And this group of men who is, who is furious over these things they've heard Stephen has done, they grab Stephen, they, they drag him through the streets of the city and into a courtroom. Now, how many of you all love a good courtroom movie. I mean, I love movies that have courtroom, and they're intense. They got all these plot twists. It's just, you know, you wait, you get that verdict, and it's just, oh, I love it. You know, like a few good men, you know, you can't handle the truth. Lincoln Lawyer, all right, all right, all right. You know, you got Old School, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, Philadelphia, My Cousin Vinny, all these movies, right? They're, they're just, they're, they're incredibly entertaining movies. Well, this is the courtroom drama of courtroom dramas. Right, because in this situation, we see Stephen is, is standing in this courtroom, and he is being charged for uh, these, these crimes, essentially, that have been made up, and there's this group of men who have gathered there, there in opposition to him. And basically what the charges are is that, that Stephen has blasphemed, that he has spoken against God, the one true God, that he has blasphemed or spoken against Moses— that he has spoken against the law that ultimately God gave through Moses to his people, and that he has spoken against the temple, which is this, this place that they identified with the presence of God and worship of God. So these are the big four, right? These are the main things that are just pillars of this, this Jewish culture and religion. I mean, this would be like someone coming into Knoxville and, and speaking against Neyland Stadium, Rocky Top, Peyton Manning and Smokey, right? People will get riled up. It's like, okay, forgive me, Lord. 
But this is what they're doing. They, they are saying that Stephen has blasphemed and spoken against everything that they hold dear. And so they are enraged. They are infuriated against, these char- against what the charges have been, that have been brought up. And, and here's the deal. If these charges are proven true, then the verdict will certainly be death. And in response to these charges, in response to the charges that these, these men have brought against Stephen of, of blasphemy, Stephen gives his own defense. Now, here's the deal. Here's the difference between Stephen's stories and, and the, the movies in the courtroom, uh, is that Stephen doesn't get a defense attorney, right? There, there's no lawyer that's pleading his case. He is defending himself, and the defense that Stephen get, gives against these charges is a sermon. And that's what we see in the first 50 verses of this chapter is this sermon that Stephen gives. And and basically his text for his sermon is the entire Old Testament. He he goes through the entire Old Testament and he makes a, a very central point in all of this. His point to these, these Jewish men, these men who have who have brought him into this court is that is that they have missed the point of the scriptures. Because they know the scriptures far better than you or I do. But they miss the fact that all of these scriptures, all of these men, all of these places, all of these people in the Old Testament are all pointing to Jesus. And they miss Jesus. And so Stephen says, because you know the scriptures, but you miss that they point to Jesus, you miss the point of the scriptures. That's, that's the core of his argument. And he chooses certain things to to prove that this is true. And so he starts with Abraham. And he says, look, Abraham, this man of of God in the Old Testament, he was called by God to leave his people, to leave his home, to, to go out to a place that God would call him to. And God promised that he would give him a son, and that this son would be born miraculously in his old age, and that ultimately through this son... That God would bless the nations. And what we see is that, is that ultimately Abraham points to Jesus. Because God would call Jesus to leave the comfort, comforts of heaven. And he would call him to go out to the earth. Jesus would be born miraculously through a virgin and ultimately through his life and death and resurrection, he would be a blessing to all nations as he would bring salvation to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so then he moves from Abraham to Joseph. Joseph is is this man in the Old Testament who was rejected by his brothers. And he was thrown into a hole by his brothers and he was left for dead. But ultimately he he would get out of that hole, out of that place of death, And he would rise to prominence at the right hand of the king. And God would use him to bring salvation to his people when a famine occurs that would certainly mean their death. But Joseph is pointing to Jesus, right? This one who was rejected by the men that he loved. He was thrown into a hole and left for dead, but he didn't stay there. He got out of this place of death and would rise to prominence at the right hand of the Father. And he would bring about the salvation of his people. 
And then he moves from Joseph to Moses, this great prophet of God who who his own people rejected. But God chose to, to stand in the place of his people before the wicked Pharaoh. And that through Moses, he would conquer Pharaoh and he would lead his people out of slavery and into a life of freedom. And Moses points us to Jesus, the the prophet who was rejected by his own people, but was chosen by God to stand against the greater Pharaoh, Satan. And on our behalf, he would conquer Satan, and he would lead us to freedom from slavery, to sin, and to death. You see, all of these figures are pointing us to one person, Jesus. And Stephen says, even the the temple and the tabernacle, these places where the Spirit of God dwelt, that the the people would make sacrifices and worship God, he says, they were just, they weren't, they were not permanent. Everything in the Old Testament, the system was, was not permanent, but was pointing to fulfillment through Christ. And ultimately, what Stephen is saying to these men, these men who, I mean, you realize these, the, the things that he's saying are blasphemy in their mind. They're, they're, they're rejecting the great things of God. But what Stephen says, he says, look, you are, you are focusing on the sign and you are ignoring what the sign is pointing to. It would be like you or I taking a trip with our family to Arizona and going to the Grand Canyon, and we drive up, and when we get there, we get out, and there's this sign that says Grand Canyon with an arrow this way. And we pull out our, our phones and our cameras, we start snapping pictures of the sign, we go up to something, man, look at, these, look at these letters. These green letters are so, man, this sign is sturdy. They made this thing well. And then we hop in our car and head back to Tennessee. That would be crazy because we're, we're missing the majestic thing that the sign is pointing to. And Stephen's saying, this is what you're doing. You're focusing on the sign and you're missing the majestic thing that all of this was pointing to. It's all about Jesus. Well, Stephen has given this, this long sermon across really the entire Old Testament. And what we're going to pick up today is his conclusion to his sermon. So Acts chapter 7, verse 51, we'll read to the end of the chapter. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and the They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is is demonstrating in this passage a life of fearlessness. 
And I believe that there are certain things from this passage, from the life of Stephen, that that God has for us to produce in us this freedom from fear. And so I want us to notice first from this passage that focusing on Jesus' presence with you frees you from fearing man's power against you. Now, fear causes us to be silent, right? When we fear someone and what they might do to us, if we speak against them or if we confront them, we will be silent. And this starts at a very young age. I have distinct memories of of being in elementary school, maybe first or second grade. And I remember that that I was in the lunchroom, and I was sitting with a group of guys, and, and there was a table next to us that, that had kids with disabilities of, of various kinds. And I remember the kids who were, who were sitting at this table with me that were making fun of these kids, that, that were making fun of the, of the things that they had that were, that were different. And I remember feeling sick inside. I, I knew that this was wrong, and I knew that I should, should say something. But I didn't, because I was afraid that I would become their target. I was afraid that they would reject and make fun of me, and so my fear led me to silence. Unfortunately, this isn't something that stops when we grow up. We continue to have situations that we know we should speak out, we know it's the right thing, but we remain silent because we're concerned about what might happen to us. Maybe it's a situation at work with your boss or someone or or something that's going on that you you know is wrong, you know you should speak up, but you don't because you're afraid of what it might mean for your job. Or maybe it's an issue in our marriage, and and you know it's it's driving a wedge between you, you know it's destructive, but you don't speak about it because you're afraid of, of what the conversation might look like. Or maybe... Maybe it's a, a coworker who, who you know you've had opportunities to talk about Jesus with, but you stay silent because you're afraid of what might happen to the relationship if you actually speak. You see, in these situations and, and so many more that we face on a daily basis, we see that fear brings us silence. We, we want the approval of other people, and we fear the rejection more then we fear God. But Stephen doesn't allow the fear of man to keep him silent. Right? We see in the situation, he, he stands up, he speaks out, he says, you stiff-necked people, you've rejected God. And not just you, your ancestors. Now, this is where, you know, you get into it. Somebody, somebody can talk about you. Somebody starts talking about your mama and your grandma, you know, your daddy and your granddaddy. Like, now it's on, right? He says, it's not only your ancestors did this. They rejected the prophets who promised the Messiah, and now you've kept up their pattern, and you've killed the Son of God. He is not scared. As you might say in East Tennessee, he ain't scared. Now, here's the deal. There would be legitimate reason. Some of our our fears of people are are just irrational. There would be legitimate reason in this situation for Stephen to fear. These men had the power to kill him. So how is it that in the face of this situation with men who have the power to kill him, he could remain fearless in such a fearful situation? We see the answer in verse 45. Stephen, or 55, Stephen looks up and what does he see? He sees heaven opened up, 
He sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God in a place of power and authority. And I think that it's significant, and many have written this, that that when when he sees Jesus, he sees him standing because every other passage that that portrays Jesus as, as being in the position of authority at the right hand of the Father, it says that he is what? He's sitting. But in this instance, he's standing. And many, many have said that what Jesus is doing is there, a, is there is a display of approval. There is a, a display of honor for what Stephen is doing in this moment. And ultimately, the religious leaders and the men of power were rejecting Stephen. But the Son of God was approving Stephen. And when he understood that, when he, when he felt the approval and the acceptance of Jesus, he could care less about what anyone else thought or said. Because in that moment, Stephen knew what honestly we all should know, which is where true power lies. And it's in the hands that created the universe It's in the hands that shaped and formed humanity. It's in the hands that did miraculous work and served people. It's in the hands that washed the feet of his disciples. It's in the hands that were pierced through with spike holes. And it's in the hands that ultimately would fold up the burial cloths and leave them in the tomb as he walked out in the daylight. You see, ultimately, Stephen knew that Jesus has all power and he's ruling and reigning over everything and that there is nothing these men can do that Jesus himself has not given them permission to do. You see, we need, we need, to, we need to see this as well. We need to understand that the position and power of Jesus, that he is ruling and reigning over everything. And there is nothing that can happen to us that is outside of his control. You see, even the days that feel like hell are under the control of heaven. Jesus says that that not even, hear this, not even a bird falls out of the sky without his permission. How much less something happened to you that takes him by surprise? And there's some of you this morning who are are in a situation where you're you're experiencing fear over, over what's going to happen or what someone is going to do. What I want to tell you and, and tell myself is that Jesus is still standing in that place of position and power and authority that Stephen saw on that day. He's still ruling and reigning over all things. And his presence is with you. And his power is in you. And that is sufficient to get you through any experience that you will ever face in this life if you'll depend on him. Well, notice next with me that trusting in the success of God's plan frees you from fearing the failure of your own plans. So these These were powerful men 
who are used to getting their way. Maybe, maybe you know somebody in your life who is a powerful person who's used to getting their way, who's used to call the shots. And what happens with someone like that when you oppose them, when you speak against them? It typically doesn't go well, right? And in this instance, it doesn't. They're used to people fearing them. And when Stephen speaks out, it infuriates them. And so what they do is they drag him out of the city and they pick up stones. And they take off their coat so that they have free range. Stephen can't go anywhere. He's trapped there. And these grown men begin to hurl these stones as fast and as hard as they can. The stones begin hitting his body and hitting his face. And it would seem in this moment that the the mob of angry men had won and that Stephen had lost. I mean, anyone watching this situation unfold would say, the guys with the rocks win. You see, Stephen's plans of, of living a life of mission for Jesus, of being part of seeing the church and the gospel spread, would seem to be over. But sometimes things aren't what they seem. Because there's a little note in verse 58 that these men laid their, their coats and their robes at a, the feet of a man named Saul. And I wonder if that name rings a bell. You see, over the next few chapters, we'll see that Saul will be radically converted by God and that he will become the greatest missionary and the greatest evangelist that Christianity has ever known. He would write more of the New Testament than than anyone else, and God would change his name to Paul. And, And I have to believe that as Saul stands there and he watches Stephen have rocks pelting into his face and his response is that he's praying for the forgiveness of the men who are throwing the rocks. I have to believe that in this moment, Saul sees something that jars him. He sees the power of God. I have to believe that this is part of what God uses to to redirect Saul's life. And beyond this, Stephen's death, we'll see through the rest of Acts, is a catalyst for the church. It's a catalyst that God uses to see the gospel spread through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You see, from a human's perspective, it looked like Stephen's plans had failed. And as we look at his plans the way that we often do, the way that we often think about our own plans, they really did fail. And, and I wonder, is there anyone in this morning who, here this morning who would say, I am a planner? Like, I have plans. I know what I'm going to be doing in five years. I have a career plan. I have a plan for my family. I have a plan for my finances. Like, I have a plan. And what happens is that we begin, if we're planners, we begin to actually connect our identity and our security to our ability to stay on that plan. And what happens if you're a planner when your plans fail? You get fearful, you get anxious, and you get angry. I had this uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we went on vacation to Florida. Every year we do a week there with family. And I had plans for this week. 
I had plans for what we were going to do every day. I had plans for what we were going to eat. I had all these plans. And, and I will tell you that none of those plans involved Tropical Storm Cindy. She was not invited into my plans. And I remember one day as I was, I was sitting in a chair looking out the window at these waves just pounding in at this rain pouring down cloud-covered sky, and, and I was just, I was enraged. Maybe you've had a moment like that. And the reason that I was so angry is because I felt my lack of control. I wasn't able to accomplish my plans. I, I couldn't change all this, right? And it was infuriating. Now, you've had an experience like that, but it wasn't as insignificant as a trip to the beach. Maybe it was a diagnosis from the doctor. Maybe it was the reality that your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it was a conversation with your boss. He said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to downsize. And in those moments, we feel our lack of control. And we fear that everything is over because we know we don't have the ability to make things turn out the way that we had planned. But what I, I hope we can see, what I want to learn from, from this passage, is that regardless of how our plans turn out, God's plan never fails. You see, God is the only one who actually has the power to ensure that his plan is accomplished. And ultimately, he's able to accomplish his plan even in the midst and through the failure of our own plans. See, sometimes the very things that we fear and that we hate the most are the very things that God is going to use to accomplish his plan in and through us. And what we know from Scripture is that God is able to take your failed plans, your darkest days, the events of your life that seem chaotic and random and don't make sense, and use them to accomplish His perfect plan. His plan, his plan to make you more like Jesus. His plan to, to use you to reach someone else in, in any number of ways. You see, the reality is there may be things that happen in your life that you will never understand. They, they will never make sense of how it all came together. But you can trust that God is powerful, that he loves you, and that in everything, even in the failure of your plans, he is accomplishing his glorious and eternal plan. Notice finally with me. That faith in the promise of God for eternity frees you from fearing pain in this life. Fear of pain is one of the earliest things that we develop as children. And I, I have a story uh, from my cousin Landon that, that kind of is a display of why there's actually health to developing a fear of, of physical pain. Uh, my, my cousin Landon was, was a toddler, and my aunt was cooking, and she had gotten away, and he ended up pushing a chair up to the countertop, climbing on and sitting down on the red-hot oven, right? And, and, I mean, it was terrible. I mean, extreme burns. He, you know, spent time in the hospital. It was, it was terrible. Uh, now it's 
It's kind of a joke because he literally has a target burned on his rear. But at the time, it was terrible. But, but what you see in that is, is that, that that's why you need fear. Like he, had a, he, he actually needed more fear of, of a situation that would be painful. And so there's a health to some amount of, of fear. But the, but the nature of fear is it doesn't stay at that level, right? It, it, the nature of fear is that it grows and gets excessive and, and, and takes over and is, is damaging. And the whole battle that we will have with fear in our lives is, is the propensity to, to constantly ask the question, what if, and to be, to be dominated by the question, what if. Now, uh, for those of you in, you in the room who are younger, this is called a compact disc or a CD. This is what, in the old days, we used to listen to music on. Now, what happens is, if, if you get a CD and, and something happens in it, like it gets scratched, and you put it in, and you play it, it, it'll be going through a song, and all of a sudden, it'll hit a lyric, and it'll just repeat, 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 right? Over and over, and it's so annoying, like the, the CD's ruined. What can happen in our lives is that, is that just like that CD gets scratched, we can have a scratch that, that fear brings into our brain, and it causes something just to repeat, repeat, repeat. What if, what if, what if, right? What if I get sick? What, what if something happens to my kids? What if, what if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? These what if, what if, they just cycle through our brain, and we can't get them out, and they get stuck. And, and it can paralyze you. It, it can keep you from accomplishing God's plan for your life, right? What, what if... I share the gospel and I get rejected. What if I give financially to the church and, and all of a sudden a crisis comes? What if I stay in this marriage and things never get easier? These what if questions can, can paralyze us in life and they can keep us from accomplishing God's purpose for our lives. And what we can learn from, from this passage with Stephen is that we don't have to live this way. Because we serve a God who doesn't promise that our what-ifs won't happen. But he promises that even if our what-ifs do happen, he has the power to sustain us through them. You see, Stephen loved Jesus. See this, he, he served Jesus. He, he did everything. I mean, he gave his life to, to following Jesus. And yet in this moment... God could have prevented his death. I mean, it could have been like an Avengers movie where a force field comes down and the rocks that are getting thrown like shoot back at the people who are throwing. I would have liked that version a lot better. But it doesn't. And Stephen dies. But even in this final moment, when Stephen is bleeding and the stones keep pounding against his face. He never loses hope. He never gives in to fear. He never gets mad at God. And in fact, his final words are not about himself at all, but they're prayers for the very people who are killing them. The same words that Jesus prayed at the end of his life. How is that possible? It's possible because Stephen trusted in the promises of God. And he trusted that even in the most terrifying and painful situation that he could go through, that God was there and that was enough. 
And this is true for you and me this morning as well, that, that even if our worst what if comes through, even if that what if, that thing that you, you've thought about so many times, but you can't actually allow your, your lips to speak, even if that happens, then God is still with you. And the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you is still true. And he is enough. And so when you hear that what if, that scratch in your brain that leads to that fear repeating, what if this happens, reply to it. Then God. Then God will be enough. Then God will sustain you. Then God will grow you through it. Then God will use you in the life of someone else. Then God will be enough. You see, what Stephen knew, what we can know as well, is that the power of these men and the power of this situation was, was limited. You see, Stephen had seen these same men exercise their power against another man, a truly innocent man. And he had seen them, them use their power to convict him of a false crime, drag him out of the city, beat him, nail him to a cross, take his blood-soaked body down off the cross and put it into a tomb. He knew that, that they had the power to kill Jesus and to put him into a tomb, but they didn't have the power to keep him there. You see, Stephen was able to be fearless because even in this situation that he could not control, the greatest what if actually coming true, he could see nail-pierced hands reaching out to receive him. And he knew that those hands were the power truly lies. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we confess that so often we live in fear. Father, I confess in my own life that so often I believe that the people around me, the situations I'm facing are more powerful than you are. Father, I confess that, that in those situations I can experience such a, a great amount of fear because I fear my lack, I feel my lack of control. And so, Father, if, if there's anyone in this room this morning who is experiencing that, I pray, I pray, Father, that through your spirit you would, you would show them what you showed Stephen, which is that even when the situations in our life are completely out of control, you are not. Father, I pray that, that we would we would experience the truth that your presence is with us, that your power is, is greater than anything that we're facing. There's nothing that can happen to us that's outside of your, your plan. And Father, that we would cling in these moments of fear to your promises, that you love us, that you're good, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that your spirit is enough to empower us for every situation that we face. And Father, we pray that we would keep our eyes focused on the truth that one day after this life is over,
that will stand together and worship the one who's truly in control. Jesus Christ, our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.